Well, if you have your Bibles with you, find the book of Luke there in the New Testament and then turn to chapter 5. Luke chapter 5 is where we're going to be here in just a moment. Let me just kind of think of a scenario here and you just think about it for a moment. Here's the scenario, very generic. You did something, then afterwards you thought about it again and said to yourself something like this. Had I given that a second thought, I would have done it differently I think it would have turned out better. Or if I'd taken the time to rethink that, whatever it may have been, if I had taken the time to rethink it rather than being so presumptuous right off the bat that it just wouldn't work, rather than presuming right off the bat this isn't going to work, had I rethought it, I might have been able to see the potential because that really had potential. I just didn't see it at the time. If I'd rethink things sometimes, I might be able to see the potential that they have So we're in kind of this umbrella that I started with a couple of weeks ago called Rethink. Rethink. There are some things that we should rethink because what we're willing to rethink, we have the ability to improve. What we're willing to take the time to rethink, we have the ability to gain a greater understanding about. Sometimes we just go over some things so many times that we don't stop and we rethink those things. So this is just kind of under this umbrella, a thematic series or whatever you want to call it rethink but really each sermon is on its own and in a different kind of light so two older gentlemen were sitting on the back porch having coffee one afternoon just talking you know how we can do sometimes guys and they got talking these guys were a little bit older and and just right out of the blue uh, one looked over the other and said say bill said uh, now i can't quite remember was that you or your brother who got killed in the vietnam war This is rethink, rethink, especially when it pertains to uh, matters of our faith. So today's about rethink your faithfulness. Ask yourself this, what is your purpose? What is our purpose as a church body? As a body of believers, we have a great purpose. What is that purpose? We need to rethink that. Here's our purpose, it's to reach people by sharing Jesus. It's tough to think about sometimes, but the SBC has over 40,000 churches. Our convention has 40,000 churches, 15 plus million members in 40,000 churches. But in any given year, 10,000 or roughly 25% of our churches don't see one new convert come to Christ. No baptisms. That's 25% of our churches, 10,000 churches. But you know, if, if every church, if each of these 40,000 churches held Sunday morning and Sunday evening services, then uh, it would total more than 1.5 million sermons being preached. If each of those churches sang just two songs, that would be more than 2 million songs. And if each of these churches gave as little as $300 a week, that's still $156 million being given over the course of a year. And just think about that. 10,000 churches, 1.5 million sermons, 2 million songs, $156 million given, but not a single soul saved and baptized. That's tough to swallow. That's tough to think about. But knowing these statistics, we can certainly identify with the story we're about to read about these disciples who went out into the water with Jesus, or had been out in the water fishing. These fishermen, they weren't disciples yet. They were fishermen. They fished all night. They caught nothing. Well, I think from a a faithful standpoint with Christ, we can, in the gospel, we can certainly identify with that, can't we? 
not catching fish. So read with me in Luke chapter 5. I'm reading out of the New King James Version. Read along with me. The Bible says, So it was as the multitude pressed about Jesus to hear the word of God that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from the boats and were washing their nets. Then he got out into one of the boats, or excuse me, he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's. And he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and he taught the multitudes from the boat. So Jesus just gets in this boat. He pushes away from the shore because you've got too many people. You've got to get away from the people. And so he's back a little ways from the, the shoreline there so that everyone can hear and so that he can project the sound to them. Verse 4, when he stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we've toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to the land, they forsook all and followed him. We need to rethink faithfulness. Let's just keep that in our minds. We're going to rethink what it means to be faithful. You know, sometimes we cover a passage like this and, and we place our focus on the number of fish that were caught. And the, we put it on the fruit, the fruit that they had to show for their efforts. But it's really not about the number of fish caught. That's not the message in the story. It's not about the, the number of fish that they caught. Yes, their nets were breaking. Yes, they needed help. But that's really not about those fish. It's not about how, how profitable that would have been. It's not about that. It's a lesson about faithfulness. It's a lesson about obedience. It's a lesson about commitment. Jesus is speaking to the crowd from the boat, and this fisherman named Simon Peter, he owns the boat, He's, he's the head guy. This is his vessel. And after he finishes speaking, he tells him, go out a little bit, go out to the deeper water. And can you imagine what Peter's thinking by this time? See, the fishermen come in. Some of them go and they take the fish early in the morning into the market because it's fresh and people want to buy the fresh fish. And then others stay and they mend their nets. Nets constantly tear. They break. And they mend their nets and they let them... Uh, lay them out on the rocks to dry, lay them out on the banks, on the shoreline. And so that's what was happening when Jesus comes along, begins to teach, and then he gets in Peter's boat. Now they fished all night long, and now he's saying, let's get on back out there into deeper water. And he's like, Master, you know, we're working on our nets, and we caught nothing. We're not, in fact, nobody's in town selling anything right now. We got zilcho, nada, no fish, not even a perch. You know, I mean, this is kind of how we would feel today. Not a nibble, not a bite. These guys are professional fishermen. They made their living catching fish. They knew where to fish. They knew how to cast the nets. 
It's not like Jesus trying to make them feel bad by making them go out in the water as if to say, you guys don't know what you're doing. No, they're professionals. This is their life. This is their livelihood. Here's what it was like. This is what Jesus meaning. Look, I know you fished all night. I know that you're tired. I know you're ready to go home. I know you caught nothing, but I want you to go out there and I want you to try it one more time. I want you to get in the boat with me. Let's get out there and let's just do it one more time. And let's see what happens. So it's, it's a lesson about faithfulness more than it's a lesson about fruitfulness. Here's three principles I want us to see from this as we think about rethinking faithfulness. First of all, the catch should never determine our commitment. The catch should not determine our willingness to be obedient and committed to the Savior. So they ended up fishing twice that day. The first time they went out because they wanted to. They had to make some money. This is their thing. This is their job. They wanted to get out there and catch some fish. But the second time they went was because Jesus told them to go. The first time they went out there was because they were interested in the catch. They needed to catch a lot of fish and make some money. They're interested in how many fish they can catch. But the second time they went out, Jesus was with them in the boat, and they went out because they were interested in His command. I enjoy attending things like the Empower Conference and things like that, where a lot of preaching and celebrating going on, lots of singing. I enjoyed that. And, but you know, I was kind of reminded of something. They get to this part in the conference where they celebrate baptisms, and it really is a celebration, but they put some emphasis on churches who are having high numbers of baptisms. And it doesn't mean they're huge churches, but they're just lots of, some of them, thousands of baptisms in the course of a year. Sometimes real small churches, they'll baptize three times as many people as they have on their membership role. I mean, that's something to celebrate. But when you watch them call their name and see them get up, boy, those, some of those preachers, their chest is sticking out four more inches than it really you know, should, and, and they, you can see them kind of strut up there, and you can kind of think sometimes, you know, I think those guys could strut sitting down. I mean, it's just, that's just how proud they are, some of them, about what they're doing. If our motive is only about reaching a certain number of baptisms, it means we're in it for the catch and not because of the command. Jesus didn't ask us to catch a certain number of fish. He asked us to be faithful to throw out the net. There's a big difference. Let me say that again. Jesus didn't tell us we need to have a certain number of conversions and baptisms every year. He says, I want you to get out there and throw the net out one more time. The catch must never determine our commitment. In other words, just because we think there might be a bigger catch... Versus a small one, that shouldn't determine whether or not we're willing to be obedient to the Savior. Number two, our presumptions must never prevent the proclamation of the gospel. Our presumptions, that is to presume something based on our opinion or something like that. Based on what's happened in the past, we can presume it's just going to happen again. Presumptions should not prevent the proclamation. In verse 4, when Jesus asked Peter to push off shore and to head back out there into deep water, Peter voiced a presumption based on his own personal valuation. Do you see that? What did he presume? We have fished all night and caught nothing. The fish just aren't, they're just not there. 
Maybe the fish have gone down to deeper water. We've had warmer weather lately, and they've just dropped down deeper. We can't get our nets down that low. It's just not going to work. We've done this. We've tried this all night long, Jesus. That's his presumption. What we're guilty of so often is the very same thing in our churches. You know, we've tried a few things before, but nothing seems to ever work. As individuals, we say, I've tried sharing the gospel before, but I'm just not any good at it. Besides, my friends aren't going to listen to anything I have to say. Presumptions. Presumptions. They don't care about God. I've tried before. I've been unsuccessful at talking about Jesus. I'm not good enough at it. I don't have a very interesting testimony. That's a presumption. What? You... You wish something bad happened in your life so people will listen to you now? What if you had not made it through? You wouldn't be here to talk about it. So we shouldn't think that we need an interesting testimony of some sort or haven't had to have some sort of almost died kind of experience so now we can talk about it. We shouldn't think that that's a presumption that people won't listen to you if you don't have something Uh, kind of uh, tragic to talk about. But just like that, our presumptions prevent us from proclaiming the good news about Jesus. We need to rethink our thinking. People aren't saved by our personalities. People are not saved by our uh, cleverness and our wit. People are saved because of the good news. They're not saved because they're an easy target for the gospel. People aren't saved because they're weak. And they need something, someone to help them. They're not saved because of that. They're saved because the the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Think about this, and I think we have it on the screen. Romans chapter 1 verse 16 says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the what, everybody? The power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. The gospel has the power. In presenting or talking to someone about Jesus or just telling them how to be saved, there's no power in us to accomplish that saving work. That is the power of God behind the gospel. The Holy Spirit comes alongside and He empowers the truth about Jesus and His resurrection and His ability to forgive sin. And He works in the person's heart. He opens the eyes and and helps them to see. He's the one that has the power to do that. So Peter first makes a negative presumption. We've all tried this, Lord. We did it all night long. But then he says this, and it's very important. Nevertheless, at your word. In other words, because you're wanting us to do it, we'll go do it. We haven't caught anything, but because you say so, we'll go out. We'll let the net down one more time. Our presumptions will keep anyone from getting saved if we're not careful. I recall the story of a business owner who made a costly presumption. He left his office and he went down to the main warehouse one morning to speak with the warehouse manager. And as he entered the warehouse, he saw a man just standing there beside a stack of boxes, leaning on him on his, on his elbow there on that stack of boxes, just doing nothing. And so when he looked at him, he went over there to him, being the boss that he was. He chewed him out real good and, and for just standing around and costing him money. He said, how much money do you make a day? 
The guy said $100. He pulled out his wallet. He gave him $300. that will cover the rest of the week. Now get out of here and don't come back. You're gone. He walked in the manager's office and he said, you don't have to worry about that lazy bum you have out there working in the warehouse. I saw him standing around doing nothing. I paid him $300 for the rest of the week. He's just gone. I, I fired him. You'll have to hire someone else though, so you might be looking into that. Well, the warehouse manager said, the guy out there, there's nobody out there. He said, other, he said my worker is at the doctor's office this morning. The guy that was out there is waiting on this package from me. He's the delivery guy. He works for the delivery company. He doesn't even work for us. Presumptions are not hard facts. Presumptions are predicted outcomes based on personal observation. And sometimes our observations are inaccurate, aren't they? Presumptions are based on personal opinion. If we're not careful, any presumptions that we have will just get in the way and prevent us from ever casting the net. Well, the sun's up. There's not going to be any fish today. I'll, I'll just not try. So we do nothing. We bait our hooks with certain lures sometimes. We say, well, I don't think they're going to hit on something chartreuse. I don't think they're going to hit on something tan. I don't think they're going to hit on on something yellow. I don't think they're going to bite on something orange. I don't think they're going to bite on anything that's spinning today. I don't think they're going to bite on anything that jiggles and flutters and uh, wiggles through the water. I I don't think anything's going to work today. So we just don't even cast the net. We don't even try. We don't even... Throw the hook out there sometimes. Our presumptions should not prevent us from, our, from the proclamation of Jesus and His saving goodness and grace and saving power. Last, I want to tell you, any success should humble us before the Savior when it comes to reaching people for Christ. When they did what Jesus said, they netted more fish than ever. They couldn't even handle the fish. They called... The other boat to come and take some of the fish. There was still so much, so many fish. Their boats began to sink. And I thought about this and I thought, wow, here's some things that could have happened because of that. First of all, they could have become proud for having caught so many fish. A lot of churches get that way. Look what we've done. Look what we've done. They get prideful. They could have been proud about it. Sometimes we do that. They glory in themselves and become prideful about what they've accomplished. And when we do that, guys, we rob God of His glory. The focus gets on the catch. The focus gets on the church. And the focus gets off of God. And it's God who saves. We don't want to rob God of His glory. And they caught all those fish and had more than they could do. They called the other boat over and had to shift some of it over. And can you imagine... Fishermen just don't go around giving their fish away. They just don't. I mean, especially big, largemouth bass. They've got more than they can handle. They don't want to give anybody the rest, you know. They could have pouted. We don't want to give them this fish. Come on, let's just try them. Paddle harder. Get to the shore. Let's dump this out and come back. They could have pouted that they had to give up some of the fish and share it with the other boat. It's easy to get jealous whenever someone leaves our church for another one. 
Whenever we have to give up some for to another church, but look, it's somehow different when we see somebody switch over to our church. We're excited. <laughs> oh man, y'all was looking at me with stone cold faces. We get excited somebody switch over here, but if anybody feels led to go somewhere else, man, we just cut them off. They, well, they didn't belong here anyway. Well, they were here 10 years. I don't care. Get themselves over somewhere else. I don't care. Didn't belong here no how, right? Pout, pouty poo. There will always be times when this church reaches people who end up going somewhere else. We need to remember the Bible says the Holy Spirit places the members where He wants them to be. They may not understand why they prefer to be at a different church instead of right here. They might not understand why they prefer to be here rather than where they used to be. But the Holy Spirit does a lot of that prompting to use them where they, they are needed. Because we all have different gifts and some church bodies are lacking in certain gifts. Others have too much of the same gift. And so He moves the body around, the members of the body around. And we have to somehow be okay with that. Amen? Some of you were saved because of another church's ministry. You weren't saved because of the people here. You were saved somewhere else. But you're here. This is where you're serving. This is where you wound up. So we can't pout about that. If someone else feels compelled to be somewhere else, we just share, we share the catch. All right? So we can be prideful when we have a catch. We can be poutyful. Poutyful. Is that a word? It is now. We can be powerful if, if we have to share it with someone else. But that's not what they did. They weren't prideful. They didn't pout. Instead, they pursued Jesus. Verse 8 tells us when Peter recognized they were catching so many fish only because of Jesus, he bowed himself in humility before Jesus the Christ. Verse 11 says when they came back to shore... They forsook all and followed him. They forsook their boats, their nets, everything they had built up to that point in time. Can you imagine the men who wished they had a fishing vessel? They wished they had good nets. Can you imagine the people who wished they could go in that line of work, but these guys... They get back to shore, they forsook all of that, and they followed Jesus. Why? Why were they willing to do that? Well, it wasn't because of their jobs. It wasn't about their jobs any longer. It wasn't about their fish. It wasn't about their boats. It was about something greater in life. They had seen all that they needed to see that morning. They saw enough to compel them to believe on Him. And from then on, they made their lives about Jesus. What they had seen and experienced that day was more valuable than all their equipment and their vessels. Okay, so what are we going to do? We're going to rethink faithfulness. That's what we're going to do. We're going to rethink faithfulness. See, sometimes we think, well, faithfulness is me showing up. (laughs) And with the kind of week I had, they ought to be blessed that I'm here. The, the kind of things I've got going on. Have they seen the grass lately? It rained out here. Have they seen my grass lately? But today, I'm putting it off, and I'm going to make a showing, and they better be glad and happy I'm here. 
No, we need to rethink faithfulness. Just showing up is not faithfulness. Well, I, I did serve. I helped with a Sunday school class. They were short on help. And, yeah, I'm serving's good, but there's more to faithfulness than showing up and even serving. Well, I prayed all last week. Yes, praying's good. That's part of faithfulness, but there's more to it than just praying. Well, I asked the Lord to forgive me of my sins. I'm a clean vessel in here this morning. Okay, that's good. That's part of being faithful, okay? But we need to still rethink faithfulness. What is faithfulness? Well, according to this passage, as we look at it and how it pertains to our lives, faithfulness is saying we're going to keep casting the net. Because, see, we do a lot of other things, but we don't cast the net very much. We, we hope someone else will cast that net. And we get to rejoice when they do, when fish are brought in. But the truth is, we don't always want to cast the net. We're going to continue to cast the net. It's not really about the catch. It's not about the numbers. It's about being faithful to the Savior's command. He said, I want you to go out one more time, Peter. Just go out one more time. I want to show you something. We're going to continue to cast the net. Number two. We're going to stop playing the role of the Holy Spirit by making personal presumptions about whether or not people will receive the message. I would almost venture to say the reason we're not busting at the seams is because we presume too much about whether or not someone wants to give their life to Christ. We're playing the role of the Holy Spirit. And we're not the Holy Spirit. We like to play like we're Him. We're not. We're going to stop presuming things about ourselves. We're going to quit saying, I'm not good enough. I don't have an interesting testimony. Well, they wouldn't be interested anyway because they live the wild side. They live on the, the wild side. They live the wild life. You know, they're an alcoholic or, or something. And, and we presume they don't want Jesus. But here's what we never know. When they lay down at night... And things get quiet in the house. And it's just them and God. The Holy Spirit comes and stirs the heart of a person so often about what took place during the day. Stirs their heart. Why are you so downcast? Oh, my soul. Put your trust in God. Put your hope in God, David said. Their heart is stirred by the Holy Spirit. Where are you going with your life? You're working and working. You've got friends, but you don't have inner peace. We don't know what the Holy Spirit's doing in the heart and life of an individual when they lay down to rest at night. And it's often then that the Holy Spirit comes and says, Now that I've got you still, I want you to give your heart to me. We don't know. So we can't presume any longer. We've got to start trusting in ourselves and start trusting in the power of the gospel because it has the power to save and it alone. The third thing is this. When someone is saved, we'll humble ourselves and give God the glory. We'll humble ourselves and give God the glory anytime someone gets in the net because he did it. What do we do? We were just obedient. We cast the net. We'll follow him. That is true faithfulness. That is true faithfulness. And I would tell you this week, let me ask you this. If the Lord Jesus impressed upon your heart, I want you to cast the net one more time right over here with this person, with that son, 
with that granddaughter, would you do it? <laughs> Crispin, I, I don't want to run them off. I'm their grandma. I'm their grandpa, and sometimes if you say much, you know, they don't want to come see you anymore. Okay, well, where they're going to be, they're not going to see you one day. Okay, You can see them for an eternity, or you can see them what little time you have in this life on this earth. Are you willing to cast the net if the Lord says, I want you to push out there one more time, just one more time. Well, I've talked to them before, Lord. Uh, 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 uh. Everybody say, eh, uh, uh. You do it at home. Uh. I don't want to hear anymore, the Holy Spirit says. One more time, just one more time, cast that net. Instead, Lord, I'm, I'm fearful. Lord, I'm going to stutter all over myself. I don't even know where to start. Nevertheless, at your word, I will go and I will speak and I will say what great things you've done for me when I put my faith and trust in you. That's what I'll do. I'll tell them about you. And we'll trust God to open the path. We'll trust God to go before us by his presence and to soften the heart of whatever he wants to do. Hey, he may want them to get angry so that they can see what a foolish mess they are without him. That's not up to us, okay? Years ago, Crystal and I, we were just, I don't know, we'd probably been married maybe a year. And we moved to New Mexico during that, that after six months of marriage, we moved to New Mexico and started two band jobs out there. And we got hooked up with a, a church, West Main Baptist Church, and started attending there and the preacher called for a visitation night to help with what they were calling Rodeo Roundup or if that was a, a church in Fort Worth. But anyway, something like that, kind of a roundup thing. They were wanting to clean up the rows. They wanted to know, okay, who's still part of us and who's not? Because we got names on the rows since the 50s and we don't even know if these people are ever going to come back. Let's clean up the rows. Second thing, let's see if we can get people to send money in to help pay for this new gymnasium. So they need some money too. So let's clean up the rows. Uh, get people back to giving, get them back to church, get them invited to Sunday school, get them, let's just see where they're at. And so we'd never done anything like that before. We went out and we had our cards. I think we had two or three visits. We knocked on the door. It was an elderly couple and the wife answered the door. And I'll never forget, we're standing there, hey, how's everything going? We had to introduce ourselves. You know, really, we're new in town, but we attend West Main Baptist Church and all this other stuff, and you're a member there. And so uh, we just wanted to come by and see if we could visit with you for a minute. The lady looked at us, member of West Main Baptist Church? And then she stopped. She said, oh, oh, I remember. She said, in order to use the church's facility and not have to be charged any money for the wedding, we joined the church. So we joined the church so our daughter could get married there. That's why we're members there. I thought, how convenient. Cheapskate. I don't know what they were. Denominational wise, I don't know. But you remember that? You remember that? So come on in. I mean, we came in. We were talking to her. We were talking to her about her husband. We could hear a TV blasting in the back room. I mean, this was... This, no sound system, just loud, though, you know. And so 
she's like, that's my husband back there. He's watching boxing. So you can imagine the noise, you know. And he can't hear a thing, she says. So it just turns all the way up and all this stuff. What's his name? His name is John. Can we, can we talk to John? Well, yeah, you're going to have to talk loud. And I, I can't remember how everything went anyway. Something happened that night. And John ended up coming to church. And John got saved. And John was baptized in the baptistry. And John was 77 years old. Couldn't hear a thing hardly, but gave his heart to Jesus. And all we were there to do was really, no, I got to know my pastor through the years. He's the one that encouraged me to go to seminary and things like that after the Lord called me to preach. And no, I, He knew what he was doing. He was getting us out there to people, checking on people. He couldn't do it himself. It really wasn't about the building. It was partly about finding out who's still connected, who's not, who, who really wants off our roads because they're going somewhere else. That's part of it, but it was also about why are people who say they belong not here? They need to be reached. And so big old John got baptized. He was big. John was like 6'5", a big, hard-looking man. The net was cast, and Jesus did the work. So I'm just saying, if he asks you to cast the net one more time this week, would you say yes?